This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Profiles in Risk. I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. Today, I am pleased to introduce Abel Travis. Abel is the founder and host of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted, a weekly podcast where Abel interviews thought leaders and innovators in the insurtech space. Abel has been in the insurance industry for the past 13 years and is also the Assistant Vice President of Commercial Lines Product Management at the Hanover Insurance Group in Worcester, Mass., Abel, welcome to Profiles and Risk. Nick, thank you for having me. I do appreciate it. I was introduced to your podcast. I think someone shared it with me on LinkedIn. I saw it. I'm a huge fan of podcasts. Uh, I saw what it is that you were trying to do. So my first question to you is, are you also a big fan of podcasts? I am, Nick. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very big fan of podcasts. I do try, you know, every morning as I'm making my commute to work, uh, you know, to listen to different, you know, a, a couple of different podcast types, you know. So um, t- for me, you know, I'm, a, I'm an avid learner um, and I do use uh, this as a medium to try to learn as much as I can. So I am just a huge fan of podcasts myself. Yeah, we're, we're very simpatico like that. It, as soon as I started to uh, get into your podcast, I, th- I think after episode two or three, I sent you a note and I said, great podcast, you're a natural. Did you have any practice? You know, uh, no, I, I never did actually, you know, um, it's interesting in terms of uh, how the how the podcast came about, you know, um, so I've been, as you as you mentioned, has been in the insurance industry for quite some time now. And, you know, just uh, giving my, my history in the insurance industry and, you know, my story in terms of the idea behind the Insurance Innovators Unscripted podcast, you know, um, I uh, really had a, a thought and a sort of a, a want for knowledge just in terms of what's happening in the insurance industry and a lot of the new things that's been occurring in our space. You know, so within my role at the organization that I work for, um, Handover Insurance Group, you know, I, I get the opportunity to often, you know, hear about or come into contact with, with some uh, new and different things that's happening here uh, w- within the insurance industry. You know, so as, as I really started to delve in and deeply in, into the, the different changes and the, the different things that that's been happening, um, what I would do just because I'm really wanting to have an understanding of what's happening and have that thirst for knowledge is I would just give people a call, you know, as I hear of these different concepts and say, hey, you know, talk to me and help me understand what you're doing and then what the impacts are to our industry. And that was the way that I would learn the things that I was hoping to know. So what I uh, wound up thinking was, you know, I'm someone in the insurance industry that's really hoping to understand the changes and the things that's happening. And I'm pretty sure that there's a, a lot of 
other people in the industry that has a thirst for the same knowledge and, you know, really want to understand what's happening in this space. So, uh, so that's sort of the genesis around how the podcast came about. I decided to, to turn my discussions that I was already having uh, into a podcast. And, you know, because I've listened to podcasts and, you know, really understand uh, how it sort of comes together and the way that, that it's structured, you know, it was easy enough for me to try to pull it together and, and pull something user or listeners would enjoy listening to. So what I wound up doing was, you know, taking roughly about a week to learn everything I needed to know about pulling together a podcast, about how to build a podcast website. I mean, then I worked with someone to get the final website together. And, and there you go. You know, that's how it all came about. <laughs> the night before our first release of episode one, I think I spent four hours trying to edit the audio file and get everything right for that. And it still came out as a mess. <laughs> and I can't believe you did everything in a week because it, it took us quite some time to kind of put some of the pieces together. And we knew our product would, be, would not be uh, very professional uh, to start just because we were like kind of learning on the fly. So really hats off to you trying to nail it and, and get it so professional because it does, it does sound really good, but I, I do appreciate really the emphasis on your curve for learning and, and kind of expecting that, well, since you're already doing it, I bet a lot of others would also appreciate that because that's kind of how um, this podcast started as well. I just figured that, you know, I, I want to learn more about, folks in the industry, you know, the, the wide spectrum, what they're doing. It's, and I, I bet there are others that would be interested in that as well. Was there, was there any, any market research at all? Did anyone kind of tell you that, yeah, I would like to learn more about that as you were talking to these people? Was it, what was the, ink, was there an inkling that it might be a little bit bigger than just your own personal curiosity? That's a really great question. Uh, originally, um, I, I didn't do any market research. You know, I didn't do much uh, of market research at all. I, it really was just around my personal curiosity and wanting to, you know, as I mentioned, understand what, what's happening in this industry and how it's going to play out and how, you know, all of the changes that's been occurring is going to change the insurance industry. You know, so as I was thinking about, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm interested in that and I'm pretty sure others are interested in it as well. You know, I, I didn't really go in and ask ask anyone, I just decided to jump right in. You know, my thought was that as long as I'm learning something and as long as I'm getting something out of this, I definitely continue to do it and, and jump and talk to folks about their role that they're playing in the insurance industry and, and what they're doing to be able to innovate as well. I, the way I thought about it was, you know, even if only 10 people listen to it, or even if, you know, uh, some of my uh, some of my close friends or colleagues that, that I would send the podcast to listens to it, that would be enough for me because I myself would get as much of out of it as possible from a from an educational perspective. It did turn out to be much bigger than the 10 people that I originally thought, you know, <laughs> when we launched the, uh, the original episode way back on, and I say way back, it was roughly about two months ago on September 26th with Matteo Carbone. So I actually recorded that episode on September 4th and released it on September 26th. I immediately recognized that I was onto something. The listenership of the first episode 
far surpassed my expectations. Now, now personally, um, I know that probably didn't have much to do with me, <laughs> um, um, but but Matteo Carbone uh, has a really deep following, and his network is really deep and wide as well. You know, so he is um, you know one of the foremost thought leaders in the insurance industry. So as I released that podcast, and you know, as the listenership just sort of shot up for the first episode. Um, I recognize that, you know, just having him on, you know, really helped to increase the the amount of people that was listening to it. Um, and it sort of caught on from there, you know, with Timotea for the second episode, you know, within his following, and then also the folks over at um, Ask Kodiak for the third episode. So, so the way, um, interestingly enough, that the audience for this podcast was built was through the people that partner and follow some of the guests that I do have on the show. You started the right way. I mean, Mateo's uh, always like a top 10 influencer. So, you know, the only thing bigger than that is to like interview Warren Buffett on your <laughs> first episode. So uh, I do have a call into Warren to try to get him in onto my show, but uh, I, I think it'll be a long time coming. <laughs> so Abel, let's follow the path. Let's figure out where you came from to convert you into someone that would start a podcast. Uh, no one's going to do that unless they have some kind of uh, fanaticism or you know beyond just a curiosity with insurance. So can you go back to the beginning of your career? Where did you graduate from school and how did you fall into insurance? You know, I, I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, and, and it's interesting that you asked the question in the way, you know, how did I fall into insurance? Because that's sort of what really happened. And, and as I talk to, to other uh, people in the industry, a lot of folks that really just fall in, into the industry. So, you know, um, I actually went to college at Clarkson University in upstate New York. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Clarkson, but it's right uh, on, the, on the border of Canada. And it, it's all the way up in northern New York. And, yep. you know, I actually went to Clarkson uh, for my undergrad degree in finance with a minor in economics. You know, so when I graduated from Clarkson University, um, I had an opportunity to go into roughly about three industries. So I had three job offers on the table. You know, one was at the boutique investment banking firm in Long Island, you know, as I grew up in Long Island. And that was for me an opportunity to go back uh, and, you know, um, you sort of go back to sort of my roots in terms of where I grew up. The other was as a uh, financial analyst at Xerox, which uh, I think a lot of folks know about that company. But then, you know, the, the third option that was on the table that I had was an offer to go into commercial underwriting at the Hartford in upstate New York. Now, I didn't know much about, you know, commercial underwriting when I graduated out of college and what that meant, because I thought, you know, when I left college that I would become an investment banker, because that, you know, throughout my whole undergrad career was the direction and the path that I was going down. You know, but as I uh, interviewed uh, with the uh, individuals over at the Hartford, um, you know, one of the uh, hiring managers that I interviewed with actually graduated from my alma mater, which was Clarkson University. Um, And, you know, she really convinced me that insurance uh, was the way to go from a career perspective. So, you know, that's sort of how I fell into the insurance industry. And as I look back at my history and at my path within the insurance industry, uh, you know, I, I look back at it and I look at it in comparison to going into investment banking and also in comparison to going through the financial analysts and the uh, in, in that route. And, and I recognize that I couldn't have been, you know, uh, more uh, sort of blessed to be in this industry. Um, and this was absolutely the right decision to make from a career perspective. You know, um, it's interesting when I when I talk to people about the insurance industry and I tell them, you know, how much I appreciate being in this industry and how much I love working in this industry. Um, 
And it's pretty weird to say that uh, I love insurance, but you know, that that's really how I feel about it. As I look through, you know, um, how this great industry really helps the people that that we're here to serve, you know, in, in terms of being able to protect their financial being and their personal being, of uh, you know, if, if there's something that occurs from a claim perspective, in order to try to make them as whole as possible. And and, and to me, you know, that that's such a, a noble thing uh, for an industry to want to do. And now, of course, the uh, the industry is still uh, predicated upon wanting to have some level of profitability, right? But um. But still, you know, the, the great things that this industry uh, provides just for our, our economic safety um, for, you know, um, our, our, our country. And then when you look uh, across the world, I think that's such a, a wonderful thing to be a part of. So, you know, for me, you know, as I look back through my history and coming into this industry and as I learn more about the industry and what it does for the world, not, not just for, you know, the, the common policyholder that, that has um, you know, a policy with, with the different insurance companies. I, I just think this is a great in, industry to be in. So, um, so I do have to say, you know, I, I absolutely love being in insurance. <laughs> yeah. Mo- most of the folks that I've uh, dealt with in the industry as well have kind of fallen into it. That's why I use that word. Uh, no one really seeks, seeks it. Uh, I wouldn't say no one, <clears throat> uh, you know, we're, we're starting to explore, uh, you know, having conversations with risk management institutes, uh, you know, uh, d- degree programs where there are actually students actually seeking that out, but it's very rare. Most folks kind of fall into it. And so, you know, you, you developed a passion. It sounds like, uh, you know, you, 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 someone convinced you to go in. It must have worked out well initially. You, you probably did see, yeah, this is, uh, there's a career here for me. And then it, it turns into something that's probably a little bit more. It was, was there one defining moment or, or something that happened early on uh, that where you said, yeah, I, I think, I think I can really plant a flag here. This could be a long-term career. Yeah. You know, um, I actually uh, think that, that, turning point for me just in terms of, you know, really uh, being exciting and loving what, what I do is uh, actually when I came into a home office role, you know, so uh, the, the person that hired me into the industry um, actually moved from the company uh, that, that I started with, uh, which was the Hartford and moved over to Travelers. Um, and I just so happened to roughly about a year later or so move into um, an underwriting role at Travelers as well. Well, that, that person um, was, you know, a, a person that was tapped on the shoulder to start a cat management um, and a cat strategy and, you know, product development and product management unit um, for travelers around the cat book of business. And, you know, she tapped me to come in and uh, lead the underwriting strategy segment. Um, this was roughly about maybe three uh, to three and a half years of me being in the industry. Um, you know, she tapped me on the shoulders to come lead the uh, the underwriting strategy segment of, of the CAT group. Um, you know, so uh, as I as I got there, um, and as I sort of uh, saw all of the different prospects around, you know, what one can do within the insurance industry, you know, that that really, you know, piqued my interest into, you know, wanting to be in in, uh, in this industry and wanting to stay in this industry because of all of the good that that um, that it's been doing and because of all of the, you know, the, the different types of things that uh, the insurance industry has done for, for the country. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, you know, for, for the economy, um, you know, so um, as I saw, you know, there was opportunity in cap management and places like product, de- uh, product management and product development and um, uh, you know, uh, underwriting strategy development and risk management and so on. It, it was just such a vast world of opportunity that, you know, you see 
Um, and then you can, uh, you know, engage with all of the different stakeholders that participate in those different arenas within insurance um, while still being in the same organization. You know, so my eyes opened up really widely. Um, and, and as I really recognized what the org, what the industry stood for. I mean, that was the, the point where I, I sort of made that decision that, you know, this really is an industry that I can see myself through for the long term and I can see myself growing a career um, in the insurance sector. So, so that, that's sort of how I uh, really, you know, uh, got, got started into really wanting to be um, a part or a long-term part of um, being within this industry. Yeah. So, so you got into product management. And so now, now your responsibility is changing. It's uh, converting from underwriting to the development of new products. So is it at that stage now where you are now, because of that role, you are now getting exposed to all of the new technology? Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, you know, um, that that actually plays into some of this, right? You know, so um, as I get exposed to all of the new things that's happening to the point that you mentioned, I I am uh, in the product management space and I lead the uh, commercial line product management team for the Hanover Insurance Group. Um, And as a part of leading that team and as a part of being in a product management function, I I have the opportunity to see all of the new things that occur um, from a product perspective. Um, in the in, in the industry, so as you think about all of the different lines of business with the property and with the general liability and with the E and O and the uh, you know uh, uh, you name it umbrella and auto and so on, you know you you look at what's happening and you recognize that uh, that product or, or you know a lot of insurance companies and a lot of uh, folks that work in some of these incumbent carriers actually see product as the thing in the words on on the paper that we're using to provide the coverage. Uh, for um, for you know the the policyholders that are purchasing our, our policies, um, you know my view actually is very expansive. You know beyond that, and the way that I look at product is not only is it the words on the paper, but it's also the way that you pull together the capabilities around your claims management, and the way that you pull together the capabilities around your you know your risk control, and you know the the way that we deliver product sets and those sorts of things, right? So as you pull together all of these different capabilities. Um, you know, you, you clearly see that you have to really expand your view as um, around to uh, around what product really is. You know, so um, as I started expanding the view and as I started jumping into, you know, more around uh, the, the space in terms of, you know, the different innovations uh, that's been occurring within our industry, um, what I recognized was that, you know, um, as you start to look at all of those different functions, you can see all of the new technologies and all of the different things that's been occurring and recognize that, you know, it really, uh, all of the rapid advancements and the rapid changes that are occurring in our industry really provides an opportunity to really, um, you know, uh, uh, influence the way that your organization is moving and the organization is working, you know, so, um, so as I see, you know, what companies like, let's say a slice is doing, or, you know, what organizations like FM global is doing in terms of leveraging drones or, uh, you know, to do some of the, uh, the, the claims, uh, view, um, you know, after a cat or using AI in, in certain instances to, um, adjust, uh, to quickly adjust claims, you know, that, that really shows that, you know, as, uh, as the industry is changing that there's an opportunity for larger incumbent carriers to change and adopt some of the things um, that that the industry uh, is moving towards as well, like these new technologies. Okay, so this is where the rubber hits the road. We've now tied your career up to this point, you know, this really critical point in time where uh, 
technology is rapidly advancing. We, we interviewed uh, Bill Wilson, who has 40 years of insurance experience. You know, he's an insurance legend. And I asked him point blank, you know, I, I was, I was, I, I was w- wanting him to describe like a major turning point in insurance. What, where did insurance change the most? And he said, without a doubt, the last five years. He said, just technology has just completely changed everything that's happening. And so now, here's your career. Technology is rapidly around, uh, revolving around you. And, and your day-to-day responsibility is to figure out, how do I make new products and how do I incorporate this new technology? So you're picking up the phone and you're talking to some of these important folks that are making this technology happen. Uh, and so let's, let's start figuring out what, what have you learned uh, from them? What's uh, you know, what are like a couple of the, the big, the big things that you're, that you're hearing about that you're seeing in the technology that's going to make a difference in, in not only in a company like Hanover, which is a pretty large company, but just in, in the industry in general. Yeah. So um, I, I honestly have to say that I've, I've learned quite a lot just in terms of what, uh, what's, what's going to be changing in the industry, especially to the point that you made through talking to um, a lot of, um, you know, leaders and a lot of new entrants and also some established players uh, in, in, in the industry. You know, um, I guess the, the first thing that, that I do want to mention, though, is just in terms of uh, what I've done with the podcast, that is a completely um, separate thing from the Hanover Insurance Group. You know, that's a, that, that, that's something that I do personally. And I, I should have mentioned this earlier, just uh, in terms of my, my want to really understand what's happening in other spaces. So, you know, as I started reaching out to or as actually, you know, now it's to the point where, you know, some of these business leaders are reaching out to me and say, hey, let, let's have this conversation uh, about, you know, um, innovation and, and what's happening in our industry. Um, you know, um, I, as I mentioned, I, I absolutely have learned a bit. So, you know, when, when I when I think about what technology has do, is doing to the industry, so I, I agree with that. You know, over the past few years is is really we really started to see somewhat of a turning point in our industry. You know, so so the first thing that I've learned, uh, you know, from talking to a lot of these uh, thought leaders and a lot of these innovators is, you know, uh, scaling is absolutely an issue for for most of these innovators um, that, that I'm speaking to, you know, because they, uh, they they don't have the critical mass that a lot of incumbent carriers have uh, to be able to, um, you know, uh, take the technology that they've designed and then execute it to a wide audience of or a wide user base because they, they just don't have that that potential scale. Um, and then they also may or may not have the same level of financing or or funding that some of these larger carriers may have uh, themselves, you know. So, um, for, so from a technical perspective, you know, as they're designing all of these new things, um, it's tough for them to really come in and move the needle in the industry unless they're working through a partnership. Let, let's say with with one of the larger incumbent carriers. Now, on the flip side of that, you know, as I'm as I'm talking to uh, you know these new entrants that have a lot of this great technology, uh, what I've also learned is that as they're getting into the carriers, um, it's really tough for carriers, uh, for you know, long-term carriers or incumbent carriers to innovate, uh, because as you look at their technology, you know, um, some of them are even running, are, are still running on older technologies like Cobalt, right? Where when you bring in something new, um, it's really tough 
to integrate that new technology set and type into it because the way that it was designed and built is just so old and it's you know so antiquated that um that it's really calcified in the being of in the makeup and the fabric of that company and that organization um you know so um I, I honestly think that, you know, as I've, uh, as I've witnessed this play out um, in terms of the, the people that I've been talking to, the way that uh, some of the incumbent carriers are, are getting over that is by just bypassing their current limitations around the technology that's being made available to them uh, that, that they already have, um, and then sort of layering on top uh, the newer technology from some of these newer entrants in, into the industry uh, to be able to execute on it more effectively and, and more efficiently, you know. So, um, so, so I, I guess you know, uh, two of the things, as I just mentioned, it, it really is that uh, you know, um, with, with the new entrants, you know, scaling is tough, and with the incumbents, um, innovating is tough. And, and and to me, that that really is that classic innovator's dilemma because you know, with technology and with things being so calcified within the fabric of uh, of of an incumbent carrier, you know, the thing that they face is really being beholden to um, ensuring that they continue to meet the, the policyholders' needs. And if it's a publicly traded company, they still have to continue to meet that shareholders' needs. So allocating uh, a portion of the expenses in order to do that becomes somewhat challenging uh, when, when you still have other things that, that you have to meet. So, you know, I, I do see um, a lot of these uh, carriers, a lot of these organizations uh, provide, um, you know, either um, contract partnerships or are they doing uh, what's known as intraventuring um, in order to be able to innovate and do things a little bit differently with, with the technology that's, um, you know, that's being made available to them. Um, now, I guess the, the, the other thing that I, that I do want to mention is, um, you know, a lot of um, it, when, when I speak to folks uh, in, in the industry, um, you know, a lot of folks look at innovation from a from a technology perspective. But, you know, I, I sort of look at it a little bit more broader than that. And, and as I start um, to um, see all of the different parts of the insurance value chain uh, where there's an opportunity to, to change the way things are done, you know, so I think I alluded uh, to one area a little bit earlier around the use of drones. Um, you know, uh, after a cat, instead of deploying a full uh, team and, a, you know, staff down to assess the damage, you know, uh, uh, employ or deploy a, a drone pilot down there to, you know, really assess what the damage is to the buildings or to the policyholders within a portfolio. So, you know, those are some of the things that we're seeing from a technical, uh, from a technology perspective that's helping to drive a different view around, you know, what's, what's happening and, and how it can be used within our industry. Okay, so I'm going to throw out some types of technology, and let, let's make it simple. I, I just want your opinion. Um, either it's a, you think it's going to be a big deal, or maybe it's not so much a big deal. You ready? Absolutely. Okay. AI and machine learning. Oh, I think this is going to be a huge deal. Um, uh, and the reason behind that uh, is, you know, um, so I look at what it takes to uh, – to write a policy or what it takes to adjust a claim. Um, and uh, even in today's world, you know, as you start to look at ALA or, or as you start to look at um, lost adjustment expenses, um, there is, uh, there, there's a portion of every dollar that an insurance carrier takes in uh, that's allocated to LA, even for, for simple claims. So, you know, um, I, absolutely think that there's an opportunity to go in and um, and leverage the capabilities around AI and machine learning to to really, you know, quickly adjust, uh, you know, some of these simpler claims without having to have 
as someone in the middle of doing it. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, you know, quickly be able to, uh, to, you know, adjust those claims and, and get the payout um, for those, those really, you know, simple claims. I, I think it's sort of the same thing on the front end when we think about the underwriting process, um, you know, where uh, you can, you know, look at a portfolio of, uh, of policyholders and, and really understand that, you know, there, there could potentially be certain patterns that play out depending upon the complexity and depending upon the size of these policyholders, um, you know, so so I, I know a lot of organizations use rules uh, in underwriting strategy, um, you know, uh, automate those rules in order to drive, you know, let, let's say uh, a high level of pass through through their, um, you know, through their policy administration systems. Um, but, you know, if you layer on top of that AI, um, I, I think it could actually reduce some of the rules that that you're designing um, on the front end and then quickly be able to, you know, understand what, what some of the uh, the complexities are um, in, a, in a really um, in a policyholder that has a lower complexity sort of a policy need um, and then drive the uh, sort of the, the, the pass-through rate or increase the pass-through rate in the binding of those types of policies. So, you know, I absolutely believe that AI and machine learning is going to be a huge deal in the future. I, I was going to say drones, but I, I think I already know the answer to that because you, you already talked about it. So we'll, we'll skip over drones. Um, how about blockchain? You know, um, I, I, I think that there's I think there's opportunity in blockchain, uh, you know, for it to be something that that's going to be big in the future. I actually do think, though, that the industry has, uh, you know, doesn't really have a full appreciation and a full understanding around how blockchain works. So uh, you, you might be aware that uh, there's a lot of the larger carriers, along with some experts around blockchain that's starting or has started a consortium to dig into what some of the value is going to be through leveraging blockchain. Um, you know, it, it's to the point where, um, interestingly enough, you know, so I, I look at what some of the larger carriers are doing and, and they're, uh, they're trying to do it with in the framework of the current construct of what it takes to, you know, uh, run an insurance carrier and what the regulatory environment requires around, you know, how we execute upon insurance. Interestingly enough, I was talking to a new entrant um, into uh, the uh, insurance space um, and what they were looking to do, you know, so, so as you know how blockchain works, well, it, it really helps to um, establish, you know, uh, or weed out, uh, or you could leverage it to weed out, you know, fraudulent elements of, uh, of potentially, you know, um, you know, claims adjustment, and, and there's a whole bunch of things that 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 can be um, used for blockchain. But um, it really just holds sort of uh, back to where where and how things originated, you know. So um, so one of these new entrants that I was talking to was talking about, well, hey, they're looking in and they're researching blockchain to figure out how to skirt regulation, right? Um, and, and to me, as soon as you start talking about, you know, uh, bypassing or skirting regulation, I, I think that there's something dubious happening there. And, and I don't ever think that would be a great use for blockchain. But, but I do absolutely believe that, you know, um, while the industry really doesn't understand, you know, or I, I don't think the industry fully appreciates the capabilities around blockchain, I do think long term there's going to be some opportunity to leverage that, uh, you know, the capabilities that it provides. Okay, last one. Big data. You know, I think that's that's a great one as well. Um, so I, I once again believe that big data uh, is going to play a role um, in the future of insurance. You know, I look at big data um, and I look at the uh, the larger incumbent carriers um, that collect so much data on policyholders and on the industry and so on. Um, but you know, as so we, we talked a little bit about technology earlier. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I look at the way that the data is being collected in some of this antiquated technology, um, but it's a challenge to be able to, to take this information out of this antiquated technology and then be able to use it to help to drive underwriting strategy or new product development or, you know, better financial risk management and those sorts of things within the insurance industry. You know, so um, what I'm uh, hopeful of is that uh, there's going to be a, a new entrant or uh, an organization that really cracks the code on how to use big data in our in our industry just to help our great industry do, um, you know, provide much more value and do better for our policyholders. So, um, so to answer your question, I, I do think that big data is going to play into um, the future of insurance. Yeah, that's good. Uh, it, you know, and, and I didn't... That wasn't to put you on the spot, but you know I've struggled with those tech elements as well, and I've and I've seesawed back and forth between big deal, uh, maybe not so much a big deal, but I think it. I think I would. I wanted to take this back to what you were talking about with innovation. I don't think it's the tech part of it. I think the tech is just an ingredient in the innovation, and I think. Uh, similar to like what you do on a day-to-day basis uh, to build an insurance product to solve an insurance problem requires more than tech. There's like a a hodgepodge of different stuff that includes the tech to kind of flow, you know, make it flow smoothly. But I think there's room for all of it. It just really depends on, um, you know, how much, how much salt, how much pepper, how much vanilla you kind of sprinkle it all in to, to get to your product. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I kind of seesaw back and forth with some of these things. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I can see why, you know, um, and I, I agree with you with, with the technology and, and as we talk about innovation, that that's not really going to be, um, you know, you know, so, something that's going to drive everything. I think it's uh, it's playing a part in, uh, what, how the industry performs and what we would want to consider or see as a part of the future of the industry. You know, um, I, I think back to, um, uh, last year. So, um, so last year, uh, yeah, I guess I'll tell a story about something that I did, you know, um, so, uh, you know, my family and I, we had the opportunity to, to visit, um, some family in Switzerland. Um, and, and I walked into uh, a McDonald's in Interlock in Switzerland. Um, and when I walked in, you know, there were absolutely no cashiers, you know, just a kiosk um, and a credit card payment machine. So I went to the kiosk and I made my order. Uh, I paid for the order um, and, it, and it worked well. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I went I, I went to the, the counter and, and I picked up my order. But, you know, there were people in the back room. Uh, you know, that were making the order and that was putting it together, right? And when you think about just 10 years ago, you know, there was an uproar around, you know, when they were going to be, when the kiosks and some of these uh, fast casual or fast food places were, uh, or how they were being more widely used, right? You know, so, but as I, as I look at this, right, you know, what this tells me is that as I think about innovation is that, um, you know, the labor piece of things, it, it's not really uh, going to continue to be or on the front end of the of the process, but there's opportunity to leverage things as we were just talking about with things like artificial intelligence and you know machine learning and and those sorts of things to to really automate some of it on the front end, especially for some of the low complexity, let's say tasks that that need to be completed. 
while the the labor piece um, will most likely play out on the back end. You know, so when it comes to things like you know really doing the the market intelligence and market research, and then building out and writing up a product, and you know really going to like the higher complexity things, and um, you know uh, sending out your adjuster to do some of that claims adjustment and so on. That I think that's really where. Uh, you're going to 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 continue to 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 really uh, need that deep technical subject matter expertise of a claims adjustment person or, or of the underwriter to do uh, to do those things. But but you know on the front end for the the really simplistic things, especially when you start looking at the micro space, I think that uh, is absolutely the opportunity to leverage technology to you know to to automate some of those those types of tasks and you know so so as i wasn't at mcdonald's interestingly enough you know me my mind automatically goes to what's happening in the insurance industry that was really the first thing that i thought of in terms of how that was relating to potentially how our industry works (laughs) sure i mean i've worked at a carrier um i've worked in back office areas where the, the the transactions are all done via paperwork um, especially at the, especially at the regulatory level, it was incredibly paperwork intensive. And when I see like kiosks and stuff, I keep thinking that's inev- it's, it's inevitable that, you know, our, at least our interaction with, uh, regulators will change so much that everyone in that department will probably need to be need to transfer skills to go to some other department or they're going to lose their jobs that you know the, the digitization will kind of sweep that away and streamline that whole process uh, so yeah I, 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 I see that as well I, I kind of I'm a little bit of a nerd like you I can't help but also think that when I see technology in other areas and other sectors to see like how would we implement something like that what would be the equivalent? of something like that in, in insurance. So uh, we're, we're also simpatico when it comes to that. Um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to get your inkling, your feeling in terms of what, what will survive? What are, what, what do you think uh, out of, you know, you, you've had a few podcasts, but you've, like you said, you've picked up the phone, you've made the call, you've, you've been in the industry for a while what do you th- what do you think will be the dna or the technology of the companies that are existing now that will ultimately survive and thrive um you know maybe not the next microsoft but out of the the cohort that exists today what do you think is in them or or what element do you think that they have that they're going to they're going to make it they're going to be big yeah, so um, so so I look at this from a couple of perspectives. Um, you know, first uh, I think uh, from an incumbent carrier perspective, I think sort of what what you may be alluding to. Um, I don't think uh, that um, the let's say the the newcomers within the insure tech space is going to make any incumbent carrier uh, go away. I, I don't think the industry is going to fail. Um, you know, uh, I I have this uh, this big belief that you know um, all of the things that we're seeing uh, occur within our industry. Uh, is going to enable the industry versus um, you know disintermediate uh, you know what's um, what's what's occurring um, in in this space right you know so um so the things that that I think is absolutely you know are absolutely going to survive is uh, 
uh, is the need to, uh, you know, one, one of the things in terms of the way it works is, is the need to in, um, uh, continue to work through the agency channel, right? You know, um, and, and while that that's not um, immediately on the surface technology based, you know, what, what you recognize is that uh, there is an absolute need, especially when you start to look at moderate to high complexity uh, policyholders in terms of what their exposure bases are, uh, there's an absolute need for the subject matter expertise that these agents continue to uh, to, to provide to, to these policyholders and to help them really understand what their exposures are um, and how they can leverage the capabilities that insurance provides to, you know, um, control their exposures and to protect their financial well-being. Um, you know, so, uh, so the first thing I think is, you know, that's, that's, absolutely going to survive. Um, you know, um, when, when I look at uh, insurance, uh, the insure tech space and the insure tech startups, you know, um, what, what I do recognize is that, um, you know, a lot of those startups uh, are coming onto the scene. Um, and, you know, some of them have a, a great technology, but they really don't understand the industry. So, so they don't have a business model to survive in this industry. Um, and that's really, you know, a lot of what I'm seeing as I start to talk to um, a lot of folks that are, you know, working within the micro space, you know, that, that, that smaller, let's say one to two person organization that may just need a general liability or, or a, a small professional policy or, or where they're, um, uh, contractual agreements uh, are requiring that, right? You know, um, so I, I think that, um, you know, some of those smaller um, new entrants that are going into that space, even with all of the technology that they have, and even if it's great technology, I don't actually see that uh, they're probably, you know, from my perspective, they're probably not going to be not long-term players within the industry if they try to go it alone. You know, even as they, uh, you know, work, or they have to try to work within the industry and understand what the regulatory um, restrictions are or what the regulatory opportunities are. Um, it's tough when you don't have a relationship with the regulators. You know, so I, I often see, you know, in, in all the discussions that I have, and, and interesting enough, from a podcast perspective, even though I released 12, I recorded uh, thus far nearly 30. Um, and then I, I spoke to, you know, uh, many more, um, many others on top of that. But what I've seen work uh, well uh, so far was, you know, a lot of these organizations that, you know, uh, partner or contract with uh, some of the incumbent carriers uh, that do have uh, the relationships with the regulators and that can be able to leverage and take some of these new things and these new technologies uh, to help drive the direction of, of those incumbent carriers. So I absolutely think that um, that, that uh, you know, uh, pulling in that uh, the technology um, into an organization that really has an understanding of the industry, um, and then leveraging it to to you know um, enable that organization is, is going to be something that's going to play out long term uh, well uh, for the incumbent carriers. Um, you know, I, I guess the uh, the last thing about that that I would say is, um, you know, I, I think what we're going to wind up seeing is, uh, you know, newer. Um, uh, organizations that, that come into our industry that's going to make the process easier for policyholders to work with carriers, I think those processes are absolutely going to survive. So, you know, recently I had the opportunity to, to talk to um, Daniel Schreiber, uh, the chief executive officer of Lemonade. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we talked about was, you know, um, I think as I mentioned a little bit earlier, but was the, uh, what was the automation um, uh, is somewhat, I guess, if you think about uh, digitization and what that means, but of the of the 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 processes uh, that don't really need a, a person in the middle of those processes. So, you know, um, as as a company, they've been able to really uh, leverage technology 
to do that. Um, and, you know, from my own perspective, at the same time, at least for the policyholders that uses Lemonade's product, because of the technology, because of the user interface and so on, even if Lemonade isn't around long term, um, what, what you recognize is that it sort of changed the way uh, that policyholders interact with an insurance company and the expectation of those policyholders are a little bit different because of what they're doing um, and how they're interacting with a company like like Lemonade. Um, you know, so a lot of, um, you know, let's say a company like Lemonade or, or, or Slices, a lot of their policyholders are potentially newer into the industry. They actually don't know how, uh, what some of the, the more complex and other challenges are within the industry. So this may be only uh, the only way to interact with an insurance company that they know. So if there's ever a point where they need to leave, you know, a carrier, um, one of these newer carriers, um, and then come to more of a traditional carrier, uh, the expectations may not be met because of how the engagement occurred um, on the first go around, you know, so, um, so, so I think that, you know, the way that these organizations are innovating that part of the process um, that's going to be something that carries over long term and that, you know, we're going to see some of the incumbent carriers at some point need to take on board. Yeah, that's an important point. I, I think any millennial that purchases purchases insurance through Lemonade and then tries to transfer uh, to a more traditional model of buying insurance will be uh, qu- quite disappointed in what they can and can't do and how things get communicated. So that's, that's a very insightful point. I'd, I'd never really thought about it that way. Um, we're, you know, we're getting close to uh, the end of the show. And so I wanted to, I wanted to ask one more question about insurance. Then I wanted to ask something a little bit more personal. Sure. Um, so we spent a lot of time talking about the tech space, the insure tech space and the small startups. Can't, can't the incumbents, couldn't they do some of this themselves? How much, how much do you think, uh, you know, I've worked at a carrier. I've seen them do some innovation inside. How, you know, how much are the carriers doing themselves? This isn't, uh, they're, they're not just completely ceding the space uh, to, to the startups. I, I, I know they're, they're investing and spending quite a bit trying to do some of their own internal technology build out. Absolutely. You know, um, and and I absolutely agree with that. You know, I I actually think that uh, a lot of these carriers, they are doing, um, you know, things to really uh, to to really focus on innovation and and what it means to to change the way that organization or that that organization partners with and works with. Um, you know, you know, policyholders in terms of what the changing needs are for those policyholders. So, so I think you're absolutely right. I don't think that they're ceding um, the space to some of these newer entrants. Uh, you know, I, uh, w- w- what I do believe is happening though, is that um, I-, I do see a lot of carriers, as I mentioned, um, en- enter into contractual agreements with, with some of these newer entrants to try to figure out, you know, what it means to leverage this technology um, and then what it means to deploy the technology or the changes that they're seeing uh, to the policyholders or within their portfolios. Um, you know, so as I mentioned, you know, it could be in this, uh, through leveraging things like drones or it could be uh, through, um, you know, partnering with, with some of these um, uh, these newer entrants in terms of digitization and, and what that means to the uh, the value chain for, for some of these incumbent carriers. Um, now, what I'm also seeing, though, are incumbent carriers uh, or, you know, carriers that's been in the industry for some time, you know, focused uh, on doing uh, what's known as intraventuring. Um, and that's, you know, really creating their own 
uh, innovation units and their own team that's really structured around folk, uh, around uh, designing an innovation unit to delve into what some of these newer things uh, means to these carriers. Um, and then, you know, how they can leverage it and how they can deploy it within, uh, within their processes. You know, so I, I mentioned, um, you know, FM Global uh, as one of the examples uh, a little bit earlier on. And, and I had the opportunity just last week, I think, to, to speak with, um, you know, the vice president of innovation over at FM Global um, and over the last, you know, month or two, um, you know, with, with uh, uh, other leads of innovations um, in, uh, in some of the larger incumbent carriers and around, you know, what they're truly doing with this, with intraventuring. Um, and, you know, while they're trying to figure out, um, uh, you know, the implications and the impact uh, to, to their organization um, through, you know, designing their own innovative um, things, you know, that they're seeing um, and, and, and implementing it as a part of the value chain, um, they're not just leaving it to that. They're also going and they're leveraging the subject matter expertise of uh, new individuals um, and new entrants into the space. You know, you know what, what, what we typically tend to see um, when it comes to innovation, I think I mentioned the innovator's dilemma a little bit earlier, where carriers are, are truly focused on uh, really, um, you know, uh, ensuring that they meet their shareholders' needs and they're servicing the needs of the policyholders. You know, so um, what, what you wind up seeing uh, from an innovation perspective is that uh, carriers, they may pull from their uh, you know, their, their employees internally, um, and then shift them over, shift those employees over into these interventuring opportunities or innovation units. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as you start to see that, you could potentially wind up getting a little bit more of the same, right? Because the, this person or, or the leads may have been in the organization for, 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 for quite some time, and what they know is what they've been exposed to long term. Right. You know, um, now what I have seen, though, are the carriers that's been much more successful when it comes to interventuring are those that aren't just focused on um, leveraging the expertise and the capabilities of the experts within their own organization from the insurance space, but those that bring a completely, uh, completely new viewpoint. Uh, external to uh, insurance. So as you think about, um, you know, uh, innovation and association, right, where you're, you're taking something potentially from a different industry and pulling it into your industry um, and then innovating or changing the, uh, the way that you're executing uh, within your own industry, right? So that association piece, um, you know, as they bring in um, either uh, new entrants from an insure tech perspective or new employee individuals into their organizations from outside of the industry helps to enable that uh, that that change um, in terms of how the carrier is uh, is leveraging uh, the the things that come along with innovation, you know. So um, so I think you're absolutely right. You know that the carriers aren't doing it all, all um, or they're not ceding it all to uh, the um, new entrants or the insure tech entrants, and they're trying to do uh, the different things that it's going to take to be successful in innovating their organizations. Very good points. Very good points. I, I'm going to end the show with a couple of softball questions. Uh, it, now that you've done such a wonderful job over the past hour, uh, really breaking down the insure tech space, um, what, what, you know, personally, what books, uh, did you find very helpful or, um, would you recommend, uh, to folks that are listening to this particular podcast? 
Yeah, you know, uh, so um, so I um, I'm an avid reader, um, and I listen and I and I read uh, you know books um, from all across the spectrum. Um, you know, I, I think the one of the first books that that I would recommend is actually a book by Clay Christensen, and I actually think this uh, this book really helped to to drive my thinking around innovation and, and just what it means. Um, and that book is the Innovator's Dilemma, right? And and the the whole uh, purpose behind the Innovator's Dilemma is really to you know um, show how successful um, companies can you know, do everything right, uh, but still not be leaders in the market. Or, you know, um, as they're designing something new or implementing something new, whether it's a strategy or product or whatever it may be, um, that they uh, might wind up failing, right? And that's due to the innovator's dilemma, you know, so I, I talked about a little bit about, um, you know, uh, what it means just in terms of having to be sort of beholding to your policyholders and your shareholders. Um, and, uh, you know, th- this book really breaks down, um, uh, you know, uh, how that plays out in some large organizations and, and really how to get around it. And I think Clay Christensen's done an excellent job in terms of pulling that together. Um, the other book that I would recommend, and I'm actually deep into this book right now, um, it's a uh, I think it came out a couple of years ago. I just started reading it recently, um, and it's called uh, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's called uh, David and Goliath, How Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants, um, right? And, um, and interestingly enough, you know, uh, the book focuses on, you know, the uh, probability of um, events occurring in situations where the outcome um, isn't favored, you know, for, uh, for, for the smaller um, individual, right? Um, but what you, you know, what, what you wind up seeing or, or what you can learn how to do is uh, to sort of shift that outcome to be more in favor of, of let's say, David, um, who's a smaller individual versus Goliath, who's, who's the larger, I guess, giant you know, um, in, in this circumstance. And, um, you know, and I, I, it, this is really interesting to me because um, I, I always associate, with, uh, again, I, so I mentioned earlier that as I'm reading things or as I'm thinking about things, I, I associate it with what's happening in the insurance industry. And, and as I'm reading this book, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm, and I'm thinking about, okay, you know, there's companies like Lemonade and there's companies like Ask Kodiak that's out there that's, you know, really going up against some of these larger carriers. Now, while a company like Ask Kodiak may be partnering with carriers, Lemonade is coming in and they're trying to build something from the ground up without having to, you know, work with, um, you know, some of the more incumbents or be beholden to the limitations of these incumbents. So to me, you know, a, a, a Lemonade would be a, a David um, and the industry that they're battling is a Goliath. Now, as I mentioned, they may, uh, you know, do really well and they may be very successful. Um, but, um, you know, uh, on the other side of this, um, you know, uh, they, they may not be, but, but at least the influence that they're having in the industry may stick around, you know. So, um, so I, I really think that David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell is, is a book that um, I would absolutely recommend. Um, and, and I think that it really has some, you know, real, um, uh, uh, you know, links to what's happening in our insurance industry. I concur. Uh, Innovator's Dilemma is a very important business book. I think every, every person listening to this podcast uh, has to at least be aware of what uh, Clayton Christensen is saying. And I think any book by Malcolm Gladwell is, is brilliant. But I do have David and Goliath on audio, and I have listened to it. So that one's also, uh, also very good. You, I, I love the way he ties uh, the, un, the unknown or the un, un, unseen it makes it a little bit more visible. So that uh, I will put both of those on the show notes. Uh, and uh, anyone that's listening to this can just uh, click on the show notes and get there. So um, Abel, we've, we've gone over an hour. So this is phenomenal. 
Um, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I remember listening to Tim Ferriss interview uh, James Altucher, or maybe it was the other way around. And I'm like, well, they're two podcasters, um, both famous. I, they both, you know, probably top 10 podcasts, talking to one another, helping each other. Uh, you're a podcaster. I'm a podcaster. As soon as I heard your your show, I knew at some point I would ask you to be on this. So I'm incredibly grateful for you taking an hour of your time uh, to come onto the show. Oh, Nick, you know, I, I do want to say thank you. I truly appreciate it. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree that, uh, you know, I, I think what, what you're doing and uh, what the folks over at Insurance Nerds are, are doing as well is, uh, um, you know, it's, it's really exciting for, for this industry. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, I really do appreciate you having me on the podcast. And, you know, at some point we, uh, we need to reciprocate that. I got to get you on mine, too. <laughs> I'll need to be an innovator. I'll figure out how to do that uh, in a way that will make you proud. So my guest this week has been Abel Travis. Abel, thank you so much. Thank you.